0: From your favorite source for Chicago White Sox talk, delivering news, interviews, analysis, and more. This is the Sox Machine Podcast with your hosts, Jim Margulis and Josh Nelson.
1: Thanks, Rob, and welcome to a new episode of the Sox Machine Podcast. I'm your host, Josh Nelson, and it's Memorial Day, Monday, May 30th, 2022, as we bring you a new episode. Good news, the White Sox won on Sunday, beating the Cubs in extra innings 5-4. Bad news, the White Sox lost on Saturday. Good news, White Sox fans don't have to watch Dallas Keuchel pitch for the team anymore, as he has been designated for assignment. Horrible news, Tim Anderson left Sunday's game with a groin injury. That's the most pressing news, which we we will get to in a moment. But later in the show, we'll also preview the upcoming series as the Chicago White Sox head to Toronto to face the Blue Jays and answer your questions In P.O. Sox. Joining me now is the managing editor of Soxmachete.com and the co-host of the podcast, it's Jim Margulis. And Jim, this White Sox season has been mediocre. They are still at 500 at 23 and 23. They are five games back of the Minnesota Twins in the American League Central and have a run differential of negative 45 runs. Tim Anderson is the heart and soul of this White Sox team. He is their best offensive player. The team already knows that Anderson will have to go on the injured list, but we are waiting for Anderson to undergo an MRI to fully determine the extent of his injury. I think the White Sox season, Jim, is on the line pending Anderson's diagnosis. How do you feel about the current situation surrounding Anderson's injury? A couple
2: of things crossed my mind. Uh, yeah, Things you said. One was that the White Sox are kind of remired in mediocrity. Like they got... Restuck. <laughs> they fell back into the ditch. So they got
1: Rick Meyer back into mediocre.
2: <laughs> Meyer <Meiered> in mediocrity <laughs> to electric boogaloo. Uh,
1: do you remember Rick Meyer? Speaking of mediocre quarterbacks,
2: <laughs> I do. Yeah. He was, that was disappointing because I remember like vaguely being aware of like Notre Dame hype at the time and thought it'd be really good. And I thought the Seahawks were, you know, yeah, the Seahawks weren't a good place for any quarterback at the time. So, I thought, oh, the White Sox can... Yeah, or the, Sorry, the Bears can uh, unearth a gem here. No, he was terrible. <laughs> um, yeah. So there's that. Uh, there's also the idea that you mentioned he's the heart and soul. And if you know they have the heart and soul removed, what do you have? Like a, a body on life support? <laughs> that's like keeping the uh, brain barely alive. So, yeah, that's... It, it feels like that's what the White Sox are looking at. The one thing I think that keeps me grounded... Is that on the same day the White Sox lost Tim Anderson, uh, the Twins uh, dealt with two injuries. They dealt with Sonny Gray leaving early. They dealt with Royce Lewis hurting his knee that he had surgically repaired. <laughs> Byron Buxton also got hit by pitch. Um, watching the Yankees get a whole bunch of injuries and, and and you know they lost Chad Green for the year. They have Loisaga and Chapman you know hurting and they have um, you know uh, Stanton down. So it's like they have a whole bunch of. It seems like a whole bunch of teams are facing a high body count this year, so I think this year more than others could really be a war of attrition. And right now, the White Sox are losing. We thought this might be the time of year where they gained ground with you know Eloy Jimenez and Lance Lynn beginning rehab stints, but Jimenez left his early. So you know, knock on wood for Lance Lynn, but this is just a it's tough it's easy to look at this and say they're doomed and they, and they very well might be um, just because nobody else has really stepped up. And, you know, at, it, I was, I was watching late in the game, the quality of the bats that Grandall and Abreu were having. And Abreu had a bad at bat uh, and was late on hittable pitches again. Uh, Grandal was following pitches back and looked late. So like if, if those guys are showing up or aren't showing up, I should say. And if Juan Makata is hurt and, and not adequate when he is in the lineup, then I don't know who that next guy is going to be to step up, unless it's Luis Roberts uh, with a seamless return from the COVID list. Could be Danny Mendick. I kid. Yeah. I mean, like he's been playing probably his best in a couple of years. So there's that. But yeah, it's it's really trying to uh, uh,
1: to milk everything out of a third day, 22nd round draft pick. If Tim Anderson's injury keeps him out for all of June, I would say... There's still hope for the White Sox. If we get the worst news possible coming out of Anderson's MRI, that he's not going to be able to return to the team until August, which means he misses all of July along with June, the White Sox are done, Jim. Like the conversation's going to be shifted from how in the Whites how in the world are the White Sox gonna get back into this race? And what moves could Rick Hahn possibly make before the trade deadline to provide some type of spark to, okay, which team are the White Sox trading Jose Abreu to uh, before August 2nd? It could be that dour very quickly, in my opinion, because you mentioned Abreu and Grandal. You have pressing veterans who are now going to press even more because they know that they're going to have to step up to replace Tim Anderson's production. And, and again, Tim Anderson for the season is hitting 356 with a 393 on base percentage, slugging 503 he was hitting his way to become an all-star again in major league baseball he was one of the best offensive shortstops in all of major league baseball if not leading significant categories for shortstops in major league baseball now you don't have that and now the guy that's got the highest ops in the team because anderson's ops was 896 jim is now andrew vaughn at 776. Okay, that's a huge drop-off. That's a 120-point drop-off from the best to the second best. And now it's Andrew Vaughn in the active lineup for the White Sox that leads the team in OPS. If Robert comes back dandy, you've got four hitters now that have a 700-plus OPS with Vaughn, Robert, Abreu, and now all of a sudden Jake Berger, which we'll talk about Berger in a moment. This is the one injury they could, they, they can't deal with right now. If it was Jose Abreu with a groin injury, okay, that sucks. But the White Sox have Vaughn, and now Vaughn could play first base every day, and someone else could play the outfield. Yasmani Grandal is out for two months. Well, you're not getting anything out of Grandal today, so I guess we'll just see more of Reese McGuire and Carlos Perez for a couple months and see if you know they can hold down the fort because offensively, this is one of the worst catching duos in all of major league baseball at the moment. So you're not missing much. If it was a Bray or Grandal to get hurt, Mm -hmm. the best player is now out. And again, we don't know the severity of how Lon Anderson is out. If he's out just a month, I think there's hope Jim. If he has to go in the 60 day IL, I think this season's toast.
2: Yeah. I was looking at the list of like, you know, potential rentals for the middle infield and it's pretty weak. Like, I don't think anybody's coming cheap that's actually going to provide an impact.
1: Do you call the Cubs for and Simmons? Uh, I, I mean, like... They have him playing second base right now.
2: Simmons, I'm looking at his numbers right now, and that's a 491 OPS. Sub- so, I mean, I think it's just more the same. I'm talking about, like, you know, imp- looking for guys who can actually be an improvement upon Danny Mendick and... Uh, Larry Garcia, and maybe a little bit of Yolbert Sanchez, even like Leonard Sosa. Like, I'm not really seeing that kind of player. So I think, you know, right now looking at rentals, you know, anybody who would come cheap, they're they're coming cheap for a reason.
1: Okay, so let's talk about internal solutions, at least for the upcoming week. This is a difficult road trip for the White Sox. They'll be heading to Tam- uh, to Toronto, which we'll preview that series at a moment. And then for the weekend, they go to Tampa Bay. Again, Anderson's going to be on the... And- He's going to be placed on the injured list. So he's missing the Blue Jay series. He's missing the Ray series. He's missing the Dodgers series. And if you get really good news and he's able to return, the earliest would be sometime during the Texas Rangers series at home. So he's missing those three very difficult series for the White Sox. How do you think Tony LaRusso is going to handle the shortstop position?
2: Well, right now, I think we saw the first line of defense, which is Danny Mendick, especially since it seems like Larry Garcia is banged up. So, um, you know, he would be the first option and not a bad option for like a few games. Um, the the guy we got questions about in PO Sox is Yolbert Sanchez, who, you know, I, I like the player, you know, I, I mentioned that in, you know, my various prospect writings and such that during the second half, if he were to be the everyday shortstop or the most day shortstop, that wouldn't necessarily be a bad thing. Um, you know, it, it's a case where you know he's not that exciting, but also, you know, even though he's cooled off a little bit at Charlotte, he has the skill set, like the bat-to-ball ability. He doesn't really look to hit for much power. Plays a good second base and is passable for a game or two at a time at shortstop. That you know, I think you can maybe there's a chance that he can basically apply his AAA numbers to. Chicago because he doesn't try to do too much with his bat. Um, But again, that's like not really impact. You know, we're we're talking about impact. I mean, like I think, you know, James Fox on Twitter floated the idea of having Yolbert Sanchez play shortstop and Jake Berger play second. And, you know, that's kind of what we're looking at in terms of like trying to mine for upside. And that has just as much downside as upside. So it's going to be really tough.
1: Yeah. The Jake Berger movie to second base. Listen, I suggested that idea When I had one too many beers at a White Sox game. Defensively, I don't know about that possibility being a real possibility, Jim. Now, when it comes to having Jake Berger in the lineup, Jake Berger should be in the lineup DHing over Gavin Sheets if Jake Berger is not in the field, Mm -hmm. whether that's playing third base or first base. Gavin Sheets should not be getting these DH at bats anymore. I don't care if there's a righty on the mound. Jake Berger is being far more productive offensively than Gavin Sheets, which now Sheets' updated stats are 210 batting average, 277 on base percentage, slugging 345. This is the worst case scenario. For Gavin Sheets to start the 2022 season. This is also the worst case scenario for the White Sox. When it comes to trying to find some left-handed production. When you add in Yasmani Grandal's 504 OPS. Which has a 225 slugging percentage. Out the window. The left-handed bats are not doing it. You might as well try to go with the hot guy right now. Uh, as far as swinging the bat. And that's where Jake Berger should be hitting. If he's not at third base, he should be DHing. De- I get it. Josh Harrison is not very good, but you need someone to help you out defensively. And I know Josh Harrison can glove it at second base, Jim. So I don't want to dig a hole defensively, hoping that someone that's barely hitting over 700 when it comes to OPS, someone that's got a below 300 on base percentage, but he's showing some pops. So he's got a sluggy percentage over 400. And Jake Berger. Mm-hmm. I'm with you. I don't want the White Sox to compound problems if Berger all of a sudden stops hitting and now you're playing him out of position or he's really weak at second base.
2: I think the idea of Jake Berger as a second baseman is all well and good and fun until the first pop-up behind first base. Um, Just remember watching him try to do it in Charlotte and letting two pop-ups drop. And we've seen between Josh Harrison and Andrew Vaughn and Larry Garcia and Andrew Vaughn, Larry Garcia and Jose Abreu, some near collisions and I think Berger would just compound that. And, uh, you know, then you add in like the finer points plays at second, anything involving range or turns and such. And I, I don't think it works. I, and I think if it did work, I think if it stood a chance of working, you'd see a lot more of him. So I think it's the kind of thing we've seen with Andrew Vaughn, where if they need to play him for half a game, like say this kind of Crazy late inning substitution where they uh, don't have a DH or they don't, you know, somebody gets hurt, leaves a game and somebody else has to fill in elsewhere that, you know, Berger could play second for half a game, maybe a game if you have a fly ball pitcher, but it's not really a, I don't see a solution there. And I think the, the flaws would become apparent pretty quickly and you just hope that they don't hurt anybody.
1: I agree with that, Jim. And with the whole situation at third base for Jake Berger and you on Makata. Listen, if Yohan Makata is not healthy, put him on the injured list. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't I don't really see a need to risk it and make things worse for him. I know that he's already missed time this season on the injured list, but if he can't play back-to-back games or right now he's only available to pinch hit even after the day off and then you come to Tuesday and Tony La Russa says, well, Makata is still not available, then put him on the IL. Yeah. Get somebody else to come up. Don't play shorthanded. This is poor roster management, which is something we are consistently bringing up with this franchise. Mm -hmm. And then if Jake Berger's got to play third, I think he could be decent at third base. He's trying to hold his own. There are plays that Yohan Makata makes that Jake Berger does not, so Makata's better defensively. But if Makata's not 100%, or if there's risk from the trainers that Makata can get himself more hurt than he currently is, then just put him on the IL and then add someone to the forty man or whatever you got to do for roster gymnastics to bring somebody up. But I, I feel like in this upcoming Blue Jay series, we're gonna see a, an infield mm-hmm. of Jake Berger at third, Danny Mendick at short, Josh Harrison at second, and Jose Abreu at first. And Jim, that is not a playoff infield by any stretch. Of the imagination. That's that's where the White Sox are going to be ending May and rolling into early June.
2: Yeah, it's it's not, and you know I'm curious when it comes to the well, one you know just you mentioned that uh, you know Yoan Makata going on the injured list, perhaps, or you know Stalin going in the injured list, and I wondered when Tony Larusa did not pinch hit for Reese McGuire the first time up when he when he had a bases loaded and he struck out on three pitches. Uh, I saw calls for Johan Makata, and I wondered if they just didn't want to play Makata or avoiding playing him so they could have the retroactive injured list stint available if need be. But of course, he pinch hit later, and so that's no longer available. If he goes on the injured list, it'll be for 15 days. So that's not... Well, I should say that's not great unless he needs the full 15 days, and, and this is the only way to give it to him. So that's one thing to consider. The other thing is, with the Toronto series coming up, Rick Hahn said that two players will be placed on the restricted list. Uh, for uh, not being vaccinated because Canada requires uh, full vaccinations. And we could see a roster shakeup anyway, you know, between those two players going on the restricted list and Tim Anderson going in the IL, that's three roster spots that could become available. So that we could see, you know, the, the kind of dramatic shift. And I think there are two, there are two spots available, on The 40 man right now, Lance Lynn will get one of them when he comes off the 60 day. Um, yeah, there, there are a couple others. There, I think, uh, you know, Aloy Jimenez, if he can come back, he's another 60 day, so it's not quite like a two fully free roster spots, but you know, for the time being, uh, there will be three available, and that could be the case that uh, you know, Yolbert Sanchez gets a pathway towards the majors because. Um, you know, Romy Gonzalez has been banged up. Um, you know, nobody else who has a roster spot in Charlotte is really looking worthy of it. So unless you go like dig deep and really go for like somebody like Lennon Sosa, who I, I think is like not quite there yet. I think he's close to being, you know, a an off the radar player worth considering. But I would like to see him in Charlotte uh, before
1: you know, coming to that verdict. Seems like Sanchez would be the guy. I am in favor of giving him a shot. Only because, Jim, we know what the White Sox have in Josh Harrison. And we know what the White Sox have in Danny Mendick. Mm-hmm. He's door number three. We don't know what's behind door number three, but it could be a boat, Jim. Or it could be a gift certificate to the Cheesecake Factory. <laughs> or nothing. But I'm at this stage, one. I'm more interested in what's behind door number three. And... If that's the roster gymnastics the White Sox have to do to make it happen, so be it. Let's see, let's see Obert Sanchez for the series and get him up to join the team in Toronto and see if he gets a, a game or two in. And the White Sox have a better idea what they have on their hands. All right. So that's the really depressing news when it comes to the Chicago White Sox situation with Tim Anderson. Again, when we do have an update on his. Injury situation, we'll be covering it and writing about it on SoxMachine.com. I am sure there'll be a breaking news Twitter space as well that I'll host when that news comes down the pipe. Fingers crossed, punch a hole through the next wooden object near you. That the news is not as severe as it looked as Tim Anderson had to be helped getting off the field by the training staff. Other roster news for the Chicago White Sox. As you mentioned, Jim, Dallas Keuchel has been designated for assignment. And we talked about this for Sox Machine Live after his last start against the Boston Red Sox, which was not competitive. And I think we both agreed that maybe one more start Keuchel had in him with the White Sox before they would have to make a decision. And instead, the White Sox do not wait around, and they decide to DFA Keuchel over the weekend And that really opens the door for the five-man rotation for Johnny Cueto to secure his spot. We may see uh, Vince Velasquez make another start for the White Sox as we wait for Lance Lynn, or maybe they surprise us and Davis Martin gets called back up to Chicago to make a start uh, for the White Sox in the upcoming games. But the timing of it, Jim, are you surprised that they did it now?
2: A little bit only because of the aforementioned roster. Um shifts that are going to take place during the Toronto series like I thought that might be a case where oh there's somebody who uh you know is part of the bullpen or part of the you know um you know the rotation or maybe like a long man who uh can't make the trip so Keuchel can just be an extra arm they'll use him and lose him type situation but you know perhaps Keuchel was that guy you never you quite know like that's uh one one thing about uh cutting him loose now is that that's no longer a concern if it was a case where he wasn't vaccinated but that that was the only thing I can really see like keeping him afloat. Otherwise, you know, you had like you mentioned, you have Cueto, you have Velasquez, you have uh you know Davis Martin, you have Lopez, you have Lance Lynn uh coming back, you're having a firm timetable for his rehab stint. He made a start tonight, and he has two more if things go smoothly. So you have a number of options, and I think if you burn through all those options by Father's Day, which is roughly when Lynn is supposed to come back, then I think the White Sox are in bigger trouble. And Lynn, and Keichel is not going to be an answer to any of the White Sox uh, problems. So I'm fine with it. I think it's like a, you know, it's the easiest move they could make to show that the status quo was not acceptable. But, you know, as we're talking about with the offense and just, you know, especially after Tim Anderson's injury and just how they're lacking any kind of impact bat, it does not solve what's been ailing them. So it's a nice first move. But other things are going to have to to happen and the, the problem with that is those problems are not move based. Like you're not going to uh find a better catcher production because of a move being made or you know Jose Abreu, AJ Pollock, etc. like those guys are the front line, they're the really the only options and if they're not hitting then the White Sox aren't hitting. So uh, they, they did make a move, but it was really like one of the few moves they can make that really alter the complexion of the roster. It's just all, you know, fingers crossed, hoping for the back of the baseball card to measure up to, uh, or, or, or for the production to measure up to the back of the baseball card. And unfortunately, that did not work out for Keuchel. So <laughs> with that in mind, you can't really uh,
1: count on that showing up for the bulk of the position player side. Dallas Keuchel in his White Sox career made 49 starts for the White Sox from the 2020 shortened season. Through 2022, according to Fangraphs, Dallas Keuchel's cumulative war with the Chicago White Sox is two. They got two war out of Dallas Keuchel in 49 starts spanning three seasons. And again, 2020 was a shortened season, just 60 games as Dallas Keuchel made 11 starts there. And then he made 30 starts with the 2021 White Sox. So the overall verdict, Jim. On the history of Dallas Kaiko with the Chicago White Sox, he signed a three-year, $55 million contract with the White Sox shortly after that the White Sox signed Yasmani Grandal in the offseason leading up to the 2020 series. He had an outstanding 2020 season. He was in the running for the American League Cy Young for that particular season, thinking that here is maybe a... <laughs> a new version of Mark Burley joining the Chicago White Sox and bringing back fond memories. And then it ends just a couple years later with him being DFA'd. How would you determine the verdict of Dallas Keuchel's tenure with the White Sox?
2: It didn't quite work. I mean, it did the job in terms of propelling the rotation in 2020 to get them to a, you know, like, well, it's hard to say with the the pandemic shortening the season to 60 games, but for that context, he did his job. You know, I wonder what the back spasms he suffered and the way he's kind of running out of gas by the, uh, post-season and his, in his game, poor game two start that he could have done more than what he gave the white Sox over 11 starts. But then again, if you're talking about a normal season, normal spring training, perhaps he's in better shape for it. You know, perhaps that's a case where, you know, just, you can't apply the, uh, the first 60 games as though it would have been the first 60 games of a full 162 game slate. So I think it served the purpose of helping elevate the rotation to be a postseason caliber rotation at the time for like the 2020 team. But I think when it came to like the idea of like the next John Lester, which is, you know, the, the, the pop, you mentioned Mark Burley, which is like the White Sox analogy for the Chicago baseball analogy. It was John Lester being the veteran acquisition, uh, on the pitching side that showed everybody that they were serious about contending. But as I wrote about, like uh, John Lester was signed for six years and Keiko was signed for three. And it worked out that, you know, with Lester, he was productive for four and a half years before the decline set in. So he was there for the world series title and also like their next few shots at trying to recapture that glory. And he was a contributor to them getting back to the postseason season. And, you know they didn't. They they fell short for various reasons, but Lester was not one of them. Whereas Keuchel signed for three years, kind of uh, hits the wall after a year and a half, and he's not there for when the White Sox are trying to peak with this whole thing. So I think that's really the the unfortunate part. And you know you think back to Zach Wheeler and how the White Sox you know pursued him, and he was their clear plan A, and Keuchel was a fallback. Keuchel is not a bad fallback, but it really just makes the inability to close a deal with Wheeler, even though they offered more money, just a little more glaring because he you know nearly won the Cy Young last year. And maybe if you're a fan of innings pitched, he should have won the Cy Young last year. And he's on a, a pace for a Cy Young finishing season this time around. So he's been everything the Phillies thought they're getting in more. And if you he, if he could neatly apply that to the White Sox, like, if Wheeler were, you know, not a, a beneficiary of something the Phillies were specifically doing, the White Sox would not have. Then it's a case where, like, uh, yeah, this is a guy you're talking about who makes, uh, you know, whether it's Lance Lynn an afterthought or Carlos Rodan, you know, a, a luxury and not a necessity. It looks like, you know, after the, uh, you know, the 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 winter at the qualifying offer and everything like that, uh, that would have made a huge difference. So, you know, wasn't a bad Plan B. But it's really unfortunate that their plan A didn't work out.
1: With Dallas Keuchel no longer on the Chicago White Sox, again, the starting rotation for the White Sox is looking like Lucas Giolito, Dylan Cease, Michael Kopek, Johnny Cueto, And we'll see. It's either Vince Velasquez or Davis Martin the White Sox will have until Lance Lynn does return. But Lynn looked pretty strong in his 40 pitches with the Charlotte Knights in his first rehab start. But he has two more rehab appearances before he joins the Chicago White Sox. It's still a pretty strong starting rotation when you swap out Velasquez for Lance Lynn for the White Sox. So they got that going. The starting pitching has been good for the White Sox. And just quickly taking a look at the series review of the Chicago Cubs as the White Sox and Cubs complete... Uh, Their series for the season in the Crosstown Cup will stay with the White Sox after 2022 with the White Sox winning three out of four games. Any other big takeaways from this series, Jim? Well, I think, you know, we talked about the offense just not delivering. So there's
2: that. Uh, Dylan Cease bouncing back and being, uh, you know, attacking, not laboring until the very end. Uh, That was nice to see. Even if the Cubs have a... a below average offense like the the Royals gave him a hard time so it was good to see him deliver uh, a start that he needed to the one thing I think that's concerning to me is that we saw in both games with Johnny Cueto and Dylan Cease that Tony Larusa, for some reason was really intent on having both starting pitchers finish seven innings Um and especially with Cueto like you know Cueto basically picked up off the you know not quite you know trash heap because he was you know signed for a considerable amount of money you know, as long as he's healthy enough to get a major league contract. Like $4 million is not quite trashy money. But it's just like he was somebody who you didn't exactly know what you're going to get when you signed him. So, you know, they they, they dusted him off. They they got him uh, you know up to speed in Charlotte. Now they're coming back. Now they're treating him like a uh, 100, 110-pitch starter, which, why? You know, if he gives you six innings, great. You know, you should be counting him for five. If he gives you six, great. Dylan Cease pitch six. No problem starting the seventh, but why he had to finish it, and, and cross a hundred pitches, I don't know. Especially like when he had the day off before the series, he had the day off after the series. Um, you know, the the you, you might have some pitchers not going to Toronto, so they might have three off days. Uh, the the reluctance to go into the bullpen, uh, and, and and going back to you know this whole idea of of starting pitchers going hundred pitches every time. Uh, even when they're laboring I do not like especially when the margins are so thin with what the White Sox are looking with like working with like it's one thing if they have a four-run lead and Cease runs into a bit of trouble but this is the kind of thing where as annoying as it might be to talk about managerial decisions when the offense is such a a trouble spot and uh you know Tony La Russa really can't do anything about all the hitters not hitting. You know, people might be annoyed by saying, like, you guys are talking about Tony La Russa a lot for, you know, just, you know, when when he's not the primary problem, sure. But when the margins are so thin, it makes those pushing and pulling pitcher decisions so much more crucial. And if he's going with Cueto and Cease, like, multiple batters too long, like, I think with Cueto, like, it started looking like he was there for four or five batters too long. I don't...
1: See that ending well. Well, you just got to trust his observational analytics, Jim.
2: Yeah, <laughs> yeah. No, it's uh... when when the whole season started and when you had like the just. I was pleasantly surprised by how cautious he was, just because of the ramp up and everything like that. He did take that seriously, but now it seems like uh, the 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 the, the guardrails are off, and it just uh, a lot of pitchers are going to be going off the edge right with the just the amount of pitches and amount of extra batters they're facing when there was this huge investment in the bullpen and i know he's cautious about being the bull, the bullpen being overworked but if the starting pitching is overworked the bullpen is going to be run ragged so it's a balance to strike and i think these two starts really did not show uh much interest in that balance especially with the off days surrounding it
1: well the chicago white Sox will be heading from home They have a day off today on Memorial Day and they make their way up to Toronto for three games against the Blue Jays. After that, they make their way to Florida, to St. Petersburg to face the Tampa Bay Rays. And after that series, they come back home and they face the Los Angeles Dodgers. So these are three straight series the White Sox will have to end the 38-game gauntlet we've been talking about for quite some time against three teams that are looking very strong as of late to be not just postseason contenders but also panic contenders in each of their respective leagues. We're going to take a quick break, but coming up next is our series preview as the White Sox face the Blue Jays. Hey, it's Mike Rankin here, lead editor at FutureSox.com. And James Fox here, senior editor at FutureSox.com. We've got you covered on all things related to the White Sox minors and the MLB draft.
0: James Fox works with our Mike Rankin. They do a great podcast together.
2: It's really a highlight of my week to hear that on Tuesdays. Thank you. Join us every Tuesday on the Future Sox podcast, wherever you get your podcast, part of the Blue Wire Network and SoxMachine.com.
0: Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed.
1: Welcome back to the Sox Machine podcast. Again, the Chicago White Sox continue their gauntlet, the most difficult part of their 2022 season. They're going to have to do it now. Without Tim Anderson as they head to Toronto to face the Blue Jays. The Blue Jays had a similar start as the White Sox, where the offense that was much hyped was not performing well, and the starting pitching was keeping them afloat. While well, the Blue Jays have suddenly caught on fire, sounds like the same story of an, another American League East team, the Boston Red Sox. They've won five games in a row. And they are now 27 and 20 on the season. They're in third place in the American League East, but they're just a game back of the Tampa Bay Rays. And now they're five and a half games back of the New York Yankees. So they're starting to cut some games in that deficit behind the Yankees for first place. At home this year, they are 14 and 8. They are a very tough team on their home field. So this is going to be a very tough series for the Chicago White Sox. You're pitching probabilities for this series. Tuesday is a gem. This is also the Sox Machine watch party, which Jim and I will be along with their friends from the 108 Beefloaf and Sharisey hosting that virtual watch party on Playback, so you guys could join us as we watch this game together. It'll be Lucas Giolito against Kevin Gaussman. On Wednesday at 6.07 p.m. Central Time, it's Michael Kopak against Hinjin Ryu. And Thursday, getaway day for the White Sox. This is a 2.07 p.m. Central Time start. It is Johnny Cueto against Alec Manoa. And Jim, I am circling Tuesday. This is going to be a very exciting matchup. Hopefully, this is a lot better of a game than our last virtual watch party that we had when the White Sox got crushed and we made our own fun. Josh Harrison pitched. That was the headline. Uh Lucas Giolito, someone that is determined to be one of the best starting pitchers in all of Major League Baseball. I think he would love to earn the honor of becoming a Scion at some point in his career is opposite on the mound of Kevin Gossman who signed a five year, $110 million contract with the Toronto Blue Jays? And boy, that contract is really paying off for the Blue Jays because right now, in my opinion, Gaussman is the front runner in the American League for the Scion. And more than likely, he is going to be starting the All Star game representing the American League with just how well that he's been pitching. I think this has got an opportunity to be a fantastic pitcher's duel. What are your thoughts about this White Sox-Blue Jays series and even your thoughts about Giolito against Gaussman?
2: We've seen Giolito, you know, and I think Cease too, like they've been uh, getting the star matchups and Giolito's thing has been pretty sturdy in them. So uh, I I think there have been a couple uh, in the past as he was kind of, um, you know, climbing up the American League ladder when it comes to pitching prestige that uh you know you kind of fall flat or it'd be disappointing but i think he's held up if my memory serves in these kind of big matchups so i'm looking forward to it and i think it could be you know if uh the pitching holds could be another brisk game for us when we're, when we're talking live so uh you know we might have to make our our talking points quick but the one you know i'm looking at these matchups and uh and Ryu um you know he signed at the same time that Keuchel signed that same winter and there was kind of a a little bit of a back and forth among White Sox fans over you know whether the White Sox should sign Keikel or Ryu or Madison Bumgarner and I think they've all ended up in similar straits. like Ryu has uh struggled to start the season not as badly as Keuchel but he's got a you know 5.48 ERA hasn't been quite that um you know that that stabilizing presence and rotation, they thought. Uh, You know, Brios has been struggling too. So they've had a bit of an uneven thing. And I think, you know, when it comes to the lineup, you know, George Springer is somebody I'm watching just because, you know, I like the idea of the White Sox signing him when uh, he was a free agent and he's been a mixed bag so far, mostly due to health reasons. He needed a health scare recently, but he's been in the lineup. And then Vlad Guerrero, like he seems like he has a little bit of an Eloy Jimenez thing going on, like in terms of him hitting the ball really hard, but a lot of it's going into the ground. Like a lot of his best contact is going straight into the ground. So his numbers are down and trying to figure that out. So hopefully, you know, it looked like that the Blue Jays might've been in a similar position as the Red Sox where, you know, I thought the White Sox might be catching them at a good time, but they won five in a row. The offense is perked up and even without Guerrero hitting. So it's a, uh, you know, I'm, I'm hoping they can at least, uh, you know, not poke that sleeping bear in particular, because if he, uh, starts unlocking his talent at the time where a lot of other guys in the lineup are hitting, it could be a long series.
1: I know you are a very strong advocate for the White Sox to go after George Springer. Mm-hmm. George Springer is hitting 273, 351, 516. He's got an 867 OPS with nine homers and 26 RBIs. He'd so be leading the White Sox uh, with Tim Anderson now on the IL uh, in all of those categories. <laughs> And uh, I feel like that's another missed opportunity for the White Sox is not landing George Springer when we knew that they needed a right fielder.
2: Yeah, and he's played in forty-five games so far. So he's had some he's left a couple games early, I think, that you know made fans wonder if he is gonna go back on the injured list, but he's been uh, he's been stable so far.
1: Yeah, Beau Bichette starting the season slow. A lot of strikeouts for Beau Bichette. 51 strikeouts to just nine walks on the season. Matt Chapman, I thought that was a good move by the Blue Jays. Really helps you out at third base defensively. But he's hitting just 200 with a 287 on base percentage and slugging 356. So for the most part for this Blue Jays lineup, even Teoscar Hernandez has not been hitting very well for the Blue Jays or Lourdes Gurriel uh, as well. And old friend Zach Collins, I don't think is even on the <laughs> active roster anymore for the Toronto Blue Jays. Yeah.
2: Bichette's been picking it up, but uh, yeah, Chapman's been kind of a mess all year and and Hernandez hasn't been there either, but Bichette has been turning around like his approach is all off in April, but he's got an 856 OPS in May.
1: So you got to be aware of Bo Bichette, but for the White Sox starting pitchers, this is not as strong of a light up as we thought the Blue Jays light up could be at the beginning of the season. I don't think they're red hot like the Red Sox were and continue to be offensively through their series against Baltimore, Jim. I think there's an opportunity where Giolito, Kopech, and Cueto could keep the Blue Jays to three runs, let's say, over six innings for all three of those starting pitchers. But how in the world are the White Sox going to generate any offense against Kevin Gaussman and Alec Manoa? Like, I'm seeing these names, and Manoa's been pitching great as well, for the Blue Jays. And I'd be shocked, Jim, shocked if the White Sox score more than two runs in either of those games.
2: I would be shocked if they score more than three runs. <laughs> three runs seems to be their number. And especially like if uh, you know, they put a, uh, the Blue Jays put a big crooked number up early. Are you are talking about like two runs off the starter? Two runs off the starter. Yeah, some, okay, okay. I can see some garbage time runs being added. But yeah, it's a, it's a, yeah. It, it's a case where those one big swings have been lacking like there've been some solo shots but the you know when they score it's such an ar- arduous process um you know singles walks or hit by pitches or errors like 90 feet at a time and then they get the bases loaded one out and they have to try to grunt a run home or hope for a wild pitch offense like it's 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 been tough like i do miss the multiple home runs a game i really miss that
1: me too and i think they're still the worst in major league baseball and driving in the runner from third with one out or fewer. I think they're like at 40% success rate. Mm. The Chicago White Sox in 2022 with a runner on third base and one out or fewer, Jim, succeed in scoring that run 40.6% of the time. That is the worst in Major League Baseball. League average is 53.1%. The Texas Rangers lead the league at 63.4%. The New York Mets are successful almost about 63% of the time in those situations. Luckily for the White Sox, the Blue Jays are only at 52.2%. But 40% of the time, there's a runner on third with one out or fewer. And the White Sox have only converted in those 96 opportunities 39 times.
2: Woo, yeah.
1: That's really poor situational
2: hitting. (laughs) Yeah, I was looking at, uh, I was trying to think, like is Gavin Sheets the main culprit? Yeah, he's uh, not great.
1: (laughs) What is he at in that situation?
2: Yeah, he's 1-4-5 with one RBI and that RBI was on a basis loaded hit by pitch. Oh, man.
1: Can't have it. (laughs) You can't have it. Jose Abreu, 0 for 8. Excuse me? With three, R- Jose Abreu, zero for eight, with three RBIs. Jose Abreu's zero for eight with a runner on third base, and one out or fewer.
2: Yes, two double plays, one sack fly. Oh, Grandal is one for seven with a couple walks. Roberts one for six. Oh my.
1: AJ gosh. Pollock one for eight. So oh yeah. Oh my gosh, my my head is hurting. Oh, that's so bad. (laughs) That is so bad. Arduous is a good way of putting it, especially when you read those numbers off. So again, in this series against the Blue Jays, Jim, when they got a runner on third, one out or fewer, they cannot afford to be this bad in driving in that run because they're just not going to get that many opportunities, especially against Gaussman and Alec Manoa. I'm expecting really bad days for a bad offense right now uh, for Tuesday and Thursday. Hinge Ryu, the White Sox have had some success against Ryu in the past. So maybe that's where they mm-hmm. have a, a good night against Ryu. I know Luis Robert has had uh, a big home run against Ryu last year. We saw that when the White Sox visited the Blue Jays, but Gaussman and Manoa, I- I'm expecting bad nights for the White Sox.
2: Good news is there are already at 16 wins in this gauntlet stretch, which is what you picked. So
1: yes, House that money the true. rest of the way. That is true. The White Sox are 16-12. and 12, And I, I keep saying this is a 38-game gauntlet. It originally was, but one of the games against Cleveland was rained out. And that's been pushed back later in the season. So this is a 37-game gauntlet for the White Sox. I thought they were going to be finishing 16-22. and 22. Uh, So if they lose the last nine games, I, I'm... I'm right on the money, but let's hope the White Sox (laughs) don't have a nine game losing streak. Yeah. They need to go three
2: and three wins out of the rest of the way to
1: match my win total of 19. So three and six, I think that's, that's achievable for the White Sox in this stretch. And after all this with the gauntlet, and I do believe this is the toughest stretch of the season for the White Sox. Even if they have a winning record in this gauntlet, it still depends to, go back full circle and what we talked about at the beginning part of the show, all about the injury status for Tim Anderson. Cause even though they survived the gauntlet for the most part, and they played better than we expected them to play during this tough stretch, the upcoming games without Anderson in the lineup, I think the games that we were expecting them to win or the weeks that we expected them to get hot and have a lengthy winning streak or really strong 10-game stretch where they're winning seven or eight games out of ten. Probably doesn't happen without Anderson on the field. Well, you guys had a lot of questions for us, and we're going to tackle them next in P.O. Sox.
0: You've stuffed our mailbox all week with questions from your tweets and Facebook posts. Now to cure your curiosity on the White Sox, here is P.O. Sox.
1: Thanks, Rob. And yes, this is our favorite part of the show where our Patreon supporters take over as they ask the questions to us. It is P.O. Sox. If you would like to submit a question or topic for a future episode of the Sox Machine podcast, you have to be a Patreon supporter and you can be one at patreon.com slash All right, Jim. The first question that we have from our Patreon supporters comes from Mikey B. And Mikey wrote to us in the top of the ninth inning of a game that the White Sox were losing by one. Tony La Russa wisely put Liam Hendricks into the game. But in tie games, La Russa often refuses to put Hendricks in for the ninth. Is there any sort of logic at all to the, to the decision-making here? Or is this just a Tony's-gonna-Tony situation?
2: It seems like more of the latter, although like i guess there is logic it's just not really consistent it's a lot of it's situational based on you know recent workloads off days coming up who else is available um sometimes i think the answers especially early on the answers were unsatisfying it was very traditional rooted in it wasn't a safe situation there have been other situations that have arisen where he's been worked hard and so i think uh trying to remember what game it was where i think Hend- that was the stretch where hendrix had worked like you know four days in a row and Larusa said he was safe for a save situation and people like rolled their eyes but i think that was a case where they wanted a very predictable ramp up for him they didn't want him just getting warmed up uh suddenly or repeatedly you know just getting up sitting down getting up again i think they wanted to really regulate his workload so they know exactly when to get him up and when to get him in the game and they didn't want a situation that was in flux and where that might change his warm-up pattern and and add more pitches onto his count because i know they track that too in terms of workload so i think there have been some situations where he has been slagged and and you know it's been really more of a consideration of his workload and it makes him sound old and crusty and, and a traditionalist but i think by and large you know, this, this year, I think at least, he's worked Hendricks quite a bit. And I haven't really seen too many situations where, um, you know, it's been objectionable. I think that the presence of Kendall Graveman has helped. I think the Graveman's uh, workload and some of his absences and some like the multiple days of rest in a row have been more questionable than Hendrix's workload. But then again, you know, so many of these games have been close and so many, uh, you yeah. know, so many of the relievers have been on in on paces for really high workloads to where like it does make prioritizing the big picture a little bit more important than it seems
1: that, like it should be this early in the season. Well, Mikey, thank you so much for your question. Our next question comes from Lou and Lou wrote to us, have there been veterans the White Sox gave up on too soon rather than too late? Not in a
2: way that's regrettable. Like, I think there have been a couple, like maybe going back a decade or more when you're talking about, like, Bartolo Cologne or Jim Tomy or something like that. You know, decisions made a long time ago. Um, and Cologne, you know, he disappeared in the team and, and resurfaced in the majors two years later, so that wasn't really a situation the White Sox were anticipating. But when it comes to, like, the... Yeah, I, I imagine Dallas Keuchel is the one, um, you know, the, the one prompting this conversation and talking about like the DFAs, the ones where the White Sox have to eat money, you know, the Adam Eaton's, the Jeff Kepingers, you know, the, um, you know, that kind of ilk. No, not really. Like there, <laughs> there have been uh, way too many cases where the White Sox, you know, Kelvin Herrera is another one where the White Sox dump a guy, gets picked up elsewhere, but never surfaces at the major league level again and and the White Sox get their last games. Like John Jay barely coasted along for a couple of years. He got his 10 years of service time. Uh, that's really what he was you know going for. Um, Cesar Hernandez is off to a, a decent start, I guess, to the Washington, but not in a way that's really regrettable for the White Sox. Melky Cabrera kind of bounced around and was Melky Cabrera, but not in a way the White Sox regretted. So nobody's really none of these veterans who were highly paid by the White Sox and, and disappointed and got dumped, uh, really, you know,
1: surfaced elsewhere in a meaningful way that I can see. Well, Lou, thank you so much for your question. Our next question comes from 2Dog. And 2Dog wrote to us, what are the odds of Tony La Russa returning in 2023 based on A, the White Sox get to the World Series, B, the White Sox get to the playoffs and fall short, C, the White Sox miss the playoffs. Also, any internal candidates to replace him?
2: I think, you know, I guess the easiest one is if the White Sox miss the playoffs, I would hope they would change. Um, just, you would think that this team, you know, had to have an automatic ticket to the postseason with just the talent on hand, the way they, they were favored in projections, and, you know, Larusa being a supposedly steady hand, and if, you know, if they fall short of the postseason this year, injuries or not, like, it just seems like you're running out of time with just, you know, I guess the kind of... You know, whether it's age, whether it's just, you know, messaging, whether it's disappointment, like just there were high expectations. And I don't see a, a situation where La Russa is worth retaining if the White Sox miss the postseason, because I think he'll be contributing to that. Should it be a situation where they lose in the ALDS again, like in the scenario B? I could see a case too, where, you know, there's internal strife, but ultimately I think, you know, it's such a Jerry Reinsdorf decision. I can't see Jerry Reinsdorf firing Larusa in a season where it was an ostensible success, whether it's they win the division, get the postseason again, what have you. Like, I can see that being enough of a success where he hangs around. So it's, you know, with Reinsdorf and with Larusa, you know, and, and I think they're both stubborn enough to not want to give up that I don't see this ending unless they win a World Series or the, the, the team falls apart and the change needs to be made at some level. Um, as for internal candidates... No, not really. Like I've seen Justin Gersley mentioned uh, and I don't see it working out. Like, you know, you just saw that with San Diego with Jace Tingler never playing a major league game and, and how that worked against him with a clubhouse that was stacked with, uh, you know, some proven players, some a mix of leaders and pseudo leaders and uh, high expectations and such that Tingler did really not have a lot of clout. So I don't see Justin Jersley being a great candidate for this kind of team. And, uh, you know, Joe McEwing, I guess, can, you know, he can stand in for their spot. But I think, you know, if Larusa goes, you know, you would hope. And yeah, I wouldn't count on it because every time the White Sox seem to have an opportunity for an honest to goodness search, they don't do it for one reason or another. But I'm just going to keep maintaining that, you know, they need to pretend as if there are no solutions on hand and they need to look elsewhere because that's probably the case
1: dog, if the White Sox don't make the postseason, I think Tony La Russa retires, Jim. I think he would be willing to step down.
2: Yeah, I can I can see it going either way. Like I can see it being a case where like yeah, this isn't working, this isn't good, uh, and also just you know if they you know it's a case where I'm thinking going back to last season that he did not you know, because the White Sox are weird and because they don't disclose terms of contract in terms of employment that Larusa made it sound like, you know, that the players would want to have him back um, before he decides to come back. And it really seemed at the time like he was fishing for compliments and it was kind of disingenuous. But if he does maintain that stance to where the players want him back, if they miss the postseason, that could be a Padres-like case where there's internal disappointment and strife in the front office and in the... Uh, and in the clubhouse, to where it does, I guess, call his bluff if it is one. In that, you know, there are going to be people in the front office I think that don't want him back, and maybe have a reason to say this isn't working out. And uh, if it is true that he only comes back to a team that wants him, that'd be that'd really be testing it.
1: It would be, but I think just the embarrassment of not making it to the postseason with this type of roster, when you factor in the old age. His daughter is calling him during post-game press conferences to check up on him Mm health-wise because the stress may be too much for him physically. If they don't make it to the playoffs, I think that he'll step away again. He'll retire. He'll put the onus on him. He'll take the blame away from the players. And he'll say, I'm not up to it. It's my fault. I'm going to walk away. I've had a great career. I've had the second most wins in managerial history. There's nothing left for me to prove. I'm going to spend whatever remaining days that I have on this planet with my family.
2: And we'll rescue.
1: Yeah, I appreciate the White Sox bringing me back. It's been fun. But they could use a different voice. If you bring this question up to Rick Hahn, I made it very clear if the White Sox do not make it to the postseason... Mm-hmm. Rickon needs to be fired. However, I don't see that happening by the Chicago White Sox. So somehow Rickon's gonna keep his job. But with Larusa, if they don't make it the playoffs, I could, I really could see Larusa walking away. But you are right too, Jim. There is the real possibility that he may look at it as, I'm rejuvenated. We had a challenging season. We didn't make it. I, I want to fix that. I want to get this team I've been I was brought here to get this team to the ultimate goal. I believe I can do it. I'm siding with I think he'll retire the white Sox miss the playoffs.
2: Yeah, I'd hope that Ryans you know I'm, I'm thinking goes back to Reinsdorf and his ability to talk people in the staying uh, against the good of everybody and we saw it with Robin Ventura that you know basically um you know Reinsdorf made Ventura fire himself. you know he handles these things very gracelessly. Uh, in with an idea that he's being loyal, but really he's not doing anybody any favor. So he could make a mess of it again. But I would hope that you know if he does have any lingering doubts about like this could be a mistake if I let him go, he should know that nobody else is going to hire Larusa. Right. Like this would be his last job, so he doesn't have to worry about Larusa going elsewhere and making it look like a mistake.
1: Yeah, Larusa's not going back to the Cardinals, Jerry. You don't have to worry about that. But two dog, thank you so much for your question. And thank you to everyone that submitted questions this week for P.O. Socks. Again, if you would like to submit a question or a topic for a future Socks Machine podcast episode, sign up to become a Patreon at patreon.com slash Socks Machine, where our Patreon supporters, they get more. They get exclusive content. They get ad-free versions of both the podcast and website. And when we have new Socks Machine swag, they get the first opportunity to acquire it. So again... Go to patreoncom socks machine to sign up today. Monthly plans start at two dollars a month, and annual subscriptions save you money. And that will do it for this Socks Machine podcast. Thank you guys so much for listening to this episode. If you just discovered Socks Machine, you can follow us on Twitter. We are at Socks Machine. We also do videos, which you can subscribe to our YouTube page at youtubecom slash machine. And you can subscribe to the Sox Machine Podcast wherever you listen to podcasts, such as Spotify and Apple Podcasts. As the Sox Machine Podcast is a production of SoxMachine.com, your home for all things Chicago White Sox baseball and part of the Blue Wire Podcast Network. Alongside Jim Margulis, I'm Josh Nelson. Thanks for listening.